0: One of the greatest obstacles to crafting health and wellness is identifying and controlling inflammation. It's at the core of all complex and chronic diseases. And it's the driving mechanism that underlies the most common symptoms that people like you struggle to overcome. Join us as we explore cutting-edge science and research to give you the information and tools you need to create the quality of life you want and deserve. And now, here is the host of Inflammation Nation, Dr. Stephen Nosworthy. Hey there, I just got off the phone with a a client of mine who's, she's been a client, a one-on-one coaching client of mine for several years now. And uh, we had a discussion uh, that was obviously relevant to her, but some of the things that we discussed are uh, really kind of general sets of information that a lot of people need to know. If you're part of the Inflammation Nation, there's probably a high chance or a high probability that you might experience some anxiety, you might experience some sleep issues, to be honest, those things quite often go hand in hand because the systems that promote it, or I should say the abnormalities that promote one and the other tend to be the same. So they usually come in pairs. Most anxious people have issues, either falling asleep or or staying asleep. Um, and, And just to kind of give you a little bit of background, and I do have her permission to talk in general terms about her case, of course, we'll keep her anonymous just to protect her identity and and be HIPAA compliant. But nevertheless, I think there are some some good tidbits of information that the Inflammation Nation should know about. So we did, um, she's recently been having a really difficult time. Her anxiety and sleep had been under control, and certain things shifted and certain things changed. Again, we'll keep the details out of it. But she had um, a surge of anxiety, a surge of sleep issues, And uh, we started working together again, just not long ago to try to sort the stuff out. And in the process of doing that, we ran some functional medicine testing. We did a a saliva test to check her cortisol levels. We checked her melatonin levels, which is one of our main sleep hormones. Uh, And we also checked her free fraction reproductive hormones because she was going through some changes with her uh, hormone replacement therapy, which is not something I do, but she's working in conjunction with other people who prescribe that. And so we try, try to kind of fit that all into, into one big package, if you will. And and to be honest, the results of the the test, they're relevant. And I'll tell you what they are here in a second, But but there are bigger picture themes and concepts and principles that I want to take out of our conversation and share with you guys, because I think it's broadly applicable, particularly if you are part of the inflammation nation and you have or are experiencing anxiety and sleep problems. But in a nutshell, her cortisol levels were were high across the day. So we, when we do salivary testing for adrenal status, we check cortisol levels first thing in the morning, uh, at noon, mid-afternoon, and then uh, about an hour or so before someone goes to bed. And we also occasionally check melatonin if that's appropriate. And I won't talk about her hormones just simply because I'm not managing that aspect. I just help her keep an eye on whether or not things are in balance and then she can go back and speak to her prescribing physician about that. But nevertheless, her cortisol levels were high across the board. Her melatonin levels were high across the board as well, um, which is interesting because... Cortisol and melatonin are or should be inversely related to each other, meaning when cortisol is high, melatonin should be low. Now, we have a little bit of a complication in her story because she's been taking melatonin at bedtime to help her sleep. But the problem is that uh, her melatonin was high throughout the entire day. In fact, it should be lowest in the morning and rise a little bit in the evening time. Uh, And again, that's the opposite of what cortisol should do. But nevertheless, let's just kind of put that stuff aside because not every case of anxiety and or insomnia involves high cortisol or high melatonin. Those are unique and specific to her. The bigger story is that um, this client of mine has struggled with anxiety and sleep for most of her life. And she's an adult. And uh, one of the things that tends to happen, and and I'm going to go into a little bit of functional neurology right now. One of the things that happens when someone has uh, an anxiety tendency or a a tendency towards abnormal sleep patterns is that the longer someone has that, the more, uh, let's call it hardwired into the programming that problem can become. And this is something that we call plasticity. Plasticity, you may have heard of in terms of how the brain learns new things so for example if you were to learn a language or learn how to ride a bike or play a sport your body tends to remember how to do that so maybe you haven't ridden a bike for 10 or 15 years but I bet you could probably jump on a bike and you might be shaking in the first minute or two but after a few minutes your brains gonna go oh yeah here's the program for that I remember how to do it and you'll be able to ride without any issues and that's plasticity it's basically learning efficiency and we see plasticity not just in the brain we see it in the immune system and we see it in hormonal systems uh, the problem is is that some types of plasticity can have negative outcomes meaning that your body can get really good at doing something that we don't like like being anxious or being awake when you should be asleep and so we call this negative plasticity or maladaptive plasticity again where the body or the brain is good at doing something and the outcome of that thing is something that is undesirable and to be a little bit more technical we we might use the term mesolimbic plasticity to describe exactly what we see with people who have anxiety issues which quite often do come with some type of insomnia and so the the phrase or the term mesolimbic um, it's a little bit technical but let me break it down the first part meso refers to the upper third of the brainstem, which is the mesencephalon and the word limbic just basically means your emotional centers. And so the mesolimbic center really in the brainstem is, is your core generator of stress responses. Now, there are different types of stressors, but ultimately at the end of the day, the mesolimbic system doesn't really care whether the stress that you're experiencing is Kind of like a psycho-emotional event, like an argument with, with a spouse or with a coworker, getting fired from your job, or having something terrible happen in your life. It also doesn't care if it's a broken arm or leg, a physical stressor. And it also doesn't care if it's a metabolic or a physiological stressor, like having a hormonal imbalance, or having blood sugar control problems, or uh, being chronically inflamed, right? And so how do how do we understand or how do we recognize that someone has this thing called mesolimbic plasticity, which usually does bring with it some degree of anxiety, some degree of sleep issues, and quite occasionally um, some degree of obsessive compulsiveness. Now, not always, but usually the anxiety and the sleep are the dominant patterns. Every once in a while, the OCD type stuff shows up and it's dominant as well, but it's not always there. So let me let me tell you how I, as a clinician, would recognize mesolimbic plasticity plasticity in somebody that I was working with. Um, it, it would be when someone has uh, that clinical history of anxiety and sleep issues. They would also describe to me exaggerated responses to trivial stimulation, and that really is probably the best working definition from a practical standpoint of what mesolimbic plasticity looks like. It's exaggerated responses to trivial stimulation. And quite often, what we'll see is we'll see some degree of light and sound sensitivity. So they don't like... They get on noise overload. They wouldn't want to go, for example, to a really busy, brightly lit mall where there's lots of people, lots of commotion, lots of lights and lots of sounds. They might not handle lights when they're driving at night, certainly wouldn't happen, uh, be able to handle things like strobe type effects or flashing lights. So light and sound sensitivity usually is part of the picture. And that's a scale in a spectrum, so it can be mild or it can be severe. They also quite often have um, what I would call a high startle reflex. Uh, basically means if somebody jumps out and says, boo, uh, if you've ever seen old time cartoons where the cat is stuck up on the ceiling with their claws embedded and they're just kind of shaking like a, like a leaf, uh, a high startle reflex would be, again, part of that exaggerated response. The other aspect of this is that once they get startled or stressed, it takes them a long time to calm down and come back to what they might consider to be baseline and normal. So if I were to go over those three elements again, we recognize mesolimbic plasticity where people have exaggerated responses to trivial stimulation. They're quite often light and sound sensitive. They have this high startle reflex. And once they're startled or stressed, then it takes them a long time to to kind of settle down and come back to normal. And so one of the, the challenges in this, because we're dealing with plasticity, And plasticity, again, refers to the fact that these biological and neurological systems can learn abnormal behaviors. They can become very efficient at these abnormal behaviors. When they become hardwired into your physiology or into your neurology at this point, there are only certain things that we can do to try to counteract that. Hi there, it's Dr. Nosworthy want to extend my appreciation to all of you in the Inflammation Nation who have helped my podcast become a great success in these first few months. I truly appreciate you. Also wanted to let you know about my brand new do-it-yourself online program called the Five-Step Gut Protocol. I designed this program for people who want to take charge of their own health and stop waiting around for someone else to tell them what to do. I've combined old naturopathic principles with cutting-edge research to create a truly unique program that will help you construct your own gut protocol. If you've ever wondered if you have gut infections, a leaky gut, or a bad microbiome, then this program will walk you through the steps to figure that out and gives you the tools that you need to formulate a practical strategy to help make things better. I guarantee at the end of this course you'll know more about your gut than your doctor does and you will feel confident that you know how to address your unique situation. You can check it out at my website at www.drnoseworthy.com. That's drnosworthy.com. And just look for the tab at the top that says The Programs. Thanks for listening. So, for example, if something becomes hardwired into your system, you can't unwire it to make it go away. But what you can do is try to develop plasticity in other areas that act as a natural breaking mechanism for the mesolimbic system that is doing too much and it's hyperactive. And that involves certain things. I'm just going to give you a list. I'm not going to go into tons of detail, although I'll, I'll bet you I'll end up doing like a mini series about this topic or at least about different aspects of this topic at some point. In fact, if that's something that you would like to hear about, why don't you drop me an email at podcast at drnoseworthy.com that's podcast at DrNosworthy.com. just drop me a line and say hey why don't you do a podcast I'd, I'd really like to hear about this topic and just let me know what you guys think but going back to what we can do to offset this tendency for a negatively plastic system to keep driving anxiety and sleep issues and occasionally OCD type tendencies well here's a list of short things to consider number one is to reduce inflammation and I know that's a big topic in in our world, right? That's what the Inflammation Nation is, is all about. But uh, obviously, inflammation is a biochemical change. There are triggers and promoters of inflammation, and that can come from any number of things. And that's a really big discussion. I'm just going to leave it there, reducing inflammation. But the reason why reducing inflammation is important is because inflammation is a chemical trigger to the mesolimbic response, meaning somebody may have a tendency to have these high stress responses, and maybe there's no stressor, right? There hasn't been an argument with a spouse. They didn't get fired from their job. They didn't recently lose a loved one, but they cheat on their diet, or maybe they don't get a good night's sleep, and and the next day they're more inflamed than usual. The inflammation then can drive that mesolimbic plasticity to the point where they get stressed, but there's no obvious external stressor that they can put their finger on. And so inflammation is, is really a big deal, It's and it's a potent trigger to that mesolimbic response and, and drives actual mesolimbic plasticity. To say it another way, some people are really good metabolically at being stressed and inflamed. And that maybe that describes you, and maybe you've been struggling to find solutions with healthcare practitioners or doing self-care, whatever the case is. But hopefully this little discussion gives you some things to think about or maybe to explore on your own or in conjunction with a practitioner so that you can start trying to make some progress. So one way that you can offset your mesolimbic plasticity if you have that is to reduce inflammation. The next thing is to control stress chemistry. Now in the client that we're talking about today, she had this chronically high cortisol level, but I will tell you that I've worked with many people with this mesolimbic plasticity over the years that have all different types of adrenal responses. Some have low cortisol, some have high cortisol, some have normal cortisol, but they have the wrong amount at certain times of the day. And so it's more of a circadian rhythm problem rather than just having too much or too little. But one of the things that we can do clinically, and I'm just going to throw out a couple of options here is that, um, you know, a lot of times we'll support proper adrenal function by using things like phosphatidylserine. This has been around for a very long period of time. Um, That's one option. Another option is to use things like herbal adaptogens. And and that would include some things you probably have heard about before, things like ashwagandha or holy basil or borifia diffusa. And there's several others. And basically what an herbal adaptogen is is it's a natural compound that helps to balance stress responses, whether they're too high or too low. In fact, that's kind of the basic definition of what an adaptogen does. It's a balancing compound. So reducing inflammation, controlling or improving stress chemistry is another one. But one of the big things is actually exercise. Um, Exercise, especially full body type exercises, and particularly things that are new to you, are potent activators of the frontal lobe as well as the cerebellum, which controls, say, balance and coordination. And these two parts of the brain, the frontal lobe as well as the cerebellum, are the natural breaking system of your mesolimbic response or your mesolimbic centers. And so people who have mesolimbic plasticity, who have good robust frontal lobe activation, good balanced control equilibrium, tend to have more control over the mesolimbic response than someone whose frontal lobe and cerebellum are not quite as healthy not quite as active and one of the ways that you can feed information into those parts of the brain to allow them to control your stress responses better is by using exercise now if you've been listening to the podcast you may have gone through the inflammation and exercise mini series that i did there's about six or seven episodes in that If that's not familiar, if you haven't done it, you might want to go back and find that in the list of episodes and make sure that you go through that because there's some pretty key insights into that, that if you are the type of person with something like mesolimbic plasticity, certainly if you're part of the Inflammation Nation, these things would be useful for you to know. So what are our practical strategies? Reduce inflammation, control stress chemistry, exercise, particularly novel or new types of exercise that use your entire body those are good practical things. the final thing that I suggested to her and this is true for everybody who's in this category is that you have to do you have to be able to identify um, what your external stressors are you, you may not be able to identify internal stressors like inflammation blood sugar hormone imbalances or whatever without the help of a clinician or a practitioner and, and proper diagnostic testing but you can do an honest inventory of your life and think about where you are are you happy do you have toxic relationships are you in a, in a period of life where you're losing your loved ones um, what's your job security like there's any number of things outside of your physical body and outside your physiology that drive that whole psycho-emotional or cognitive stress response and we can broadly divide those into two categories which are the modifiable and the unmodifiable so for example i i was i remember working with somebody gosh probably about 10 years ago now and uh she had an autoimmunity plus a bunch of other things and and she had done fairly well up to a certain point and then she just got stuck She got stuck in her response. And no matter what we changed, it didn't matter if we changed her diet, changed up her supplement protocol, changed her activity and exercise program at the gym, nothing helped her get past that sticking point. In fact, she felt like she was losing some ground. Well, it turns out that her dad had recently been diagnosed with a terminal illness and he was in hospice. And literally, she said, I wake up every day waiting, thinking today's the day that my dad's going to die. And once I understand that, because she hadn't shared that with me in the very beginning, uh, but once I understood that, I said, okay, now I get it. Now I now I understand why all of our modifications to your program are not having the intended or the expected outcome is because you have this unmodifiable stressor. Like she she couldn't control whether her, her father was healthy or ill. She couldn't control the timing of his passing. But what I said to her, I said, trust me, just stick to your protocol, be consistent, All we're doing right now is supporting your system until things resolve. And what will happen is once your dad passes and you have a chance to mourn, then you're going to start to feel better again. And I don't know how long that's going to take, but it will happen. And she said, "Okay, I trust you. And lo and behold, that's exactly what did happen. And I've got several other stories along that line that that might Um, might illustrate the same concept, but I I think you get the point. And so getting back to this idea of identifying these external stressors, you have the unmodifiable stuff that you, you simply have no control over. And just being able to put your finger on it and go, okay, that's a stressor. Do I have control over it or do I not? And to realize you don't, then the job becomes how to mitigate or buffer the impact of that on your system which is where things like controlling inflammation and stress chemistry and using exercise and other relaxation techniques come into play but what about the modifiable stuff you know what about that and I'm just gonna spitball here what about that toxic friend or co-worker or family member whose negativity and pessimism is always there and it's having an impact on you do you have control over how much time you spend with that person or the boundaries that you set A lot of the people that I work with uh, have a tendency to say yes to everything. So sometimes learning how to say no and learning how to draw healthy, respectful boundaries is part of how you start to deload your system. And so I, I encourage people who are in this realm of the inflammation nation in this kind of subcategory of mesolimbic plasticity to really do this honest inventory of your life and ask yourself, do I have control over my external stressors? And if I do, and I haven't exercised that, what does that look like? And and I would underline um, respectful boundaries, because sometimes we set boundaries and we can do it in a very awkward manner that might damage relationships. Sometimes if you set a boundary, people don't like it anyways. So no matter how gently you do it, there's going to be a negative response. But ultimately, at the end of the day, your goal is to understand what is driving your mesolimbic plasticity both internally as well as externally and then begin to exert the control that you have over one or the other or both of these things and you know i just going back to what i said at the very beginning i i got off the phone with this lady today and she's a she's been a wonderful client and and has become a good friend over the years Um, But this is something because of the plasticity is something that she continues to struggle with from time to time if her protocol slips, if her self-management thing slips, or if things come in from the outside that she has no control over. Because her system is plastic, she has a tendency to drive and create these stress responses, which means that we have to have some kind of a strategy and a tactic in place that as soon as we see the emergence of more anxiety and more sleep issues that we know exactly what to do to get her back on track. So listen, if you're part of the Inflammation Nation, thanks for being part of it, first of all, and I hope that helps you. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Inflammation Nation. If you found this episode valuable, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. Be the first to know when a new episode drops so that you can stay on top of your game. It also helps others like you find the answers they need. And why not head over to my main website, drnosworthy.com, that's D-R-Nosworthy.com, to explore my personalized functional medicine coaching programs, submit a question to the podcast, maybe take a quiz, or even reach out to me using the contact form that you can find there. We'll see you next time.